0: Amen. Well, take uh, take your Bible and uh, let's uh, let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Preparation for this coming week with Harvest Sunday. Uh, I thought we might uh, visit stewardship, and uh, I've entitled the message "Live to Give." Uh, I worked over that a long time, wondering, what, uh, how shall I say it? But I thought, live to give. I like that. I can. Re- that's something not too long I can remember it. Uh, how are we supposed to live? Live to give. That kind of says it. If you got it, you can uh, head to the door, you're done here. Uh, but uh, uh, humor me a little bit. Let me go through and teach you what the Scriptures say, what God would have us to know about living to give or live to give. In 2 Corinthians 8-9, let's read that first. Look at that glorious passage. Uh, hopefully many of you have memorized this in the past, but uh, I love this passage so much. 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, when was Christ rich? When he was in glory from eternity past. When did he become impoverished? When he became a man. There was not even a place for him to be born in. He was born in the stable. He had no place to lay his head, he said. Uh, Then, as he moved toward the cross, and all deserted him, and even the Father, as he became legal sin for us, at six hours, that one day on the cross, Abandoned by all that we might never be. Poverty uh, of, of an extreme level that you and I have never seen. Why did he do all that? So that you and I might become wealthy. You know, if you know Christ, you're wealthier than Donald Trump. Not most of you know who Donald Trump is, right? Wealthier than, by far. That money he has is only monopoly money. Did you know that? When it's all over, it goes back into the box. You ever play Monopoly? Yeah, I had Marvin Gardens, and they had Park Place, and cleaned me out, right? You got to watch the banker in that game. But uh, that's it. We through him. How are we wealthy? We have everything in Christ. We're God's children. We have a home in heaven. Do you know you have a condo in heaven with your name on it? Your name is on it. It's not like here where they take the name off. Next, next. Who's there? Erase the name. New, new folks will be. Look, if the Lord tarries where you live, someone else is going to live now. Unless it's a rat trap about ready to fall down. Probably not. But most people will live there and say, That's my home. You say, No, wait, it was my home. No, it isn't your home. It's places to live in, there's shelters. We appreciate it. We're thankful to the Lord. But someone else will live there. And that's good to think about that. But in heaven, you'll have a place that is your own forever. And that's how you become wealthy in Christ when you're saved. That's what that verse means as we begin to think about that. Well, live to give. That's, that's, the, that's a description of what a Christian ought to be. Well, look at your handout there in the Charles Dickens book, and you'll see the the movie and the play and all that coming out, and as we move towards Christmas, because it often is, the the Christmas Carol is the is his novel, Ebenezer Scrooge. Right? Do you remember seeing him, reading about him? He's kind of a scary old guy. If, if you're a young kid seeing that for the first time, all alone, mean, cheap, he's a Scrooge. He's the original Scrooge. That's where his name, where that we borrowed that in English language. We liked it so much from Dickens, we thought. We know we carry that right in. So you're a Scrooge. We understand what that means, right? He's known for what? Hoarding. Hoarding is money. Pulled out his little bag and counted his coins, right? Uh, kept it under his bed. In some ways, kept one hand on it, even when the death angel came, right? Wouldn't let go. Hoarded his money. Did you know that he is not alone in his business of hoarding? He wasn't the last hoarder. He said, well, I'm glad he's gone. That's the end of it. Uh uh-uh. uh, You know, hoarding creeps into your life and mine. We live in a, a world that is, uh, you know, overwhelmed with uh, Madison Avenue and advertising and giving and, and all the ads you see. You're gonna, some of you are going to watch football today. A lot of the ads on the commercials say, you're not happy unless you're drinking this or eating that or buying that or driving this or wearing that. I mean, it's incredible. You think about it, not too many years ago, you didn't have that. In Paul's day, when he made the Roman Via Maris and his his way around the Roman Empire and preaching, I don't even think they had billboards like we have on the turnpike. You know, unless you're eating this uh, barrel's of pizza here and the next 10 minutes is going to be here, you're, you know, you need this, it smells good, we have something for you, we'll make it your way, you know? No ads like that. But we are inundated and buried by it. Commercial TV is like that, radio, magazines, Every You get this idea that you can't be happy unless you have this. Well, Scrooge is not the last hoarder that ever was. Even God's people, even you and I, can fall into this, I call it the cancer of the soul, and it is. It's a disease that's terminal if you don't deal with it. This idea of hoarding, and holding on, me, myself, and I. I put it, put it that way, and we'll talk about that later. Well, uh, as Christians, giving... Giving should mark you as a, pe- as a person. If you're a Christian, you come to know Christ the Lord, the Savior, you ought to be known as a giver. A giver, not a taker, a giver. Giving in all sorts of ways. All sorts of ways. Giving even when you're not, uh, it's not known that you're giving. Those are good times to give. Giving uh, uh, unplanned expressions of kindness to people giving words of praise and thanks, and this is what I see in you, encouragement. Words of encouragement. We're not big on that. Let's think about that. We ought to be encouraging one another. We ought to do that. One word of encouragement will counter 10 words of negativity. One. I see something in you. Boy, that encourages me. And that word will propel us forward. And in our giving, we ought to look and snoop around and find where there needs and, and, and do what we can and give of our time. And time is sometimes the most precious thing, right? Is it not? We, are, we recognize that it's going, going, almost gone. But to give of our time to those that need that time, sacrificially, to recognize giving is a key mark of a Christian. We're to live generously by giving our time, talents, and treasure and to giving it to others as we give ourselves to the Lord after having given ourselves first to Him. Wow, we're to do this while living in a world of utter selfish men and women who tend to care only about themselves, me, myself, and I. That's the important thing, right? That's the world we live in. Don't be captivated. Don't be caught by it. We've all come from that. If you have no know Christ, we've come out of that world. We've been translated from that world. We'll talk more about that. Jesus is our great example in this, is, is he not? He's our great example. And uh, you and I ought to give for one reason, for the, because of the love of the Lord Jesus in our heart. We ought to recognize our condition and recognize who we are and what we have in light of God and in light of God's world and take a step back and get the bigger picture. And generations come and go, and they're here for just a moment of time. We stand on a rock that's hung on nothing called the earth. It moves at incredible speeds. And our life is going, going, gone. And, and we stand upon this thing called life, and days are going, and God wants us to be stewards of everything he's given. Our time, our abilities, and our treasury, and the things that we have. And not to wrap our arms around them, not to hold on to stuff with our sweaty palms, but to have a hand that releases the grip and is a blessing that we become Christ's hands and feet and heart and eyes. That's, that's a mark of a Christian. And that's a, incidentally, that's a great way to know that you've been saved. Our tendency as kids is, my truck, my bike, my this, right? Think of that. No, you can't have it. I think of the old Tonka trucks, right, in the sandbox. Get away from me. This is mine, mine, mine. And as you grow in grace, it's a mark of God's grace that you recognize your condition and live in light of it, and you're generous, and you live to give. And you take a step back, and you look, and you go like, wow, it's amazing. I would never have done that too many years ago. I never do. I would never be that way in, a, in the midst of a recession. I mean, you don't know what's coming, right? So we got to hold on extra tight, right? I thought we were children that walk by faith, right? Anyway, in 2 Corinthians 9, it's a wonderful verse where if, if God's people give sacrificially and generously, and Paul says that, that the grace of God there, that God will care for all your needs, for he will give your, you grace, When you participate in giving, in living a life that gives. Wow. Our example is Jesus. He gave us all for us, that we might become rich through his death. It cost him, and I remind you that it will cost you to be a giver, too. And if we give and it doesn't cost, then what is that? What is that? What is that? David wouldn't give an offering that didn't cost him, and it ought to cost us. And for Americans, we live like kings. We're wealthy. Even the, those at the lowest level were wealthy beyond compare. We ought to live with that in mind. And we walk into an uncertain day and an uncertain future here in our country and here in the world and the economy. But what is certain is that God will go before us and that God is the provider. And if he can trust us to be generous and to live generously and be his his hands and feet and eyes and wealth and time and talent to others, to our church, to the children with our Samaritan boxes, then God will bless us and trust us with, with even more. There's a people I can trust. For God has given us the ability to make wealth. Deuteronomy tells us that. You can open your mouth and, and breathe in a bug, or germ. we call it a bug, I don't know why, a virus or something, and never get out of your bed again. You can fall and hit your head and be dead or be incapacitated or suffer this or that. We think, well, I'll live forever and ever and ever and ever. It won't happen. It won't. So how will you live? Live to give is the message of Jesus. That's what he did. And so should we. Well, why should we do that? Well, such a living delights our God. It does. For what's the text say in Timothy? For God loves a cheerful giver. You know, the word cheerful there is, it comes a word hilarious giving. You know, it's not the stingy type. It's not the hoarding. All right, there's your portion, God. You recognize all of it's his. And that sometimes we're going to be even more sacrificial. And it'll do good things in your heart and life. And we'll talk about what it'll do. And I want to encourage you in just that. Well, I I married into a good family. I told you before I married up. I certainly did in marrying Faithy thirty four years ago. But her her family and the benefits of of godliness in her family. It's not always this way, but her family heritage is so rich. Uh, her, uh, Faithy's grandmother, a little German lady about four foot ten, maybe, uh, spoke German, godly woman, taught Sunday school, tremendous witness, down on the train tracks in, in World War II, giving out tracks to the GIs who were getting on the train, going over to World War II. And Faithy's dad uh, went to, over to, uh, to part of uh, Patton's uh, Third Army, drove a half track around Europe. That was not a tour. That was not a tourist tour. Well, part of the Third Army there even at the Bulge. And Pop was not married at this point. It was four years over in Europe. And uh, every month sent, uh, had his uh, pay sent home to his mother in Cheltenham, Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia area, and sent it to his, to his mama. And uh, thought he was taking care of it. When he got home after the war, uh, he... Uh, He asked her about it, and she said, Oh, 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 Fred, I gave all your money to the Lord's Word. All of it. He said, You did, Mom? I sent it home for you. (laughs) I sent it on to a better purpose. I'm telling you, I married up. Now, that's a rare thing. And is it any wonder the side benefit of having what? A heart that loves the Lord... So much so in that family that all her children came to know Christ and live for him. And the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, as far as I know, all of them have made profession of faith in the Lord Jesus. There have been ministers and missionaries out from that little German woman with her little finger pointing people to Jesus And living for Christ with that in view, and she's now in heaven. I'm telling you, I married up. I married into a godly line, and I needed that. My line are filled with, you don't want to know, and I don't want to know, and I don't know. And you know how that is. And You think it's uh, you came from something, I got news for you. You probably didn't, you know. (laughs) So praise God for that generosity. And God blesses that, doesn't he? It's a picture and a way of Jesus. Well, uh, just quickly, five reasons, I could have given you 25, but five reasons why your life as a Christian, if you know Christ is your Savior, you, you should be filled with generosity. Your life ought to be filled with being generous. Live to give, not live to get. And you'll march in a different direction from the crowd that's going the other way. Catch a glimpse of the bigger things going on, the panorama of life and what the meaning of it, and the purpose, and the purpose why God has placed you with talents, time, and resources. Catch it. Don't live like the rest. Well, here's the first reason that we ought to live to give. Number one, God owns everything. What we have is not ours to keep, it's ours to use. Where I've said before, for someday, everything you have will be taken from you or you will be taken from it. They'll carry you out. And you won't have anything follow you. No U-Hauls. No. I always stay away from those U-Haul truck drivers and rider drivers on the road. Do you do that? Rent a a truck for a weekend. They don't know what they're doing. I stay clear. None of those ever will follow you as we make our way to the cemetery. Look at that load. No way. What you have is not yours key. It's not yours. It's God's. He owns it all. Everything. Look at this wonderful passage in Second, uh, Quranic, uh, first chronicles. Can you find you know where that is after the kings, right? In the Old Testament? Well, look at this passage. the setting, David has been receiving free will gifts for the temple uh, that will be built in his son's day. Uh, he, and he praises God for all that God had provided, all this wealth that was given by his people, that God had provided it. And in the midst of this praise, as he stands amazed at what God's people, moved by the Spirit of God, brought to, uh, to, uh, to David for uh, God's purposes, uh, he prays in 1 Chronicles 29. And pick it up at verse uh, 6 as we uh, kind of eavesdrop on this incredible day. David, uh, the text says, Our fathers were unfaithful. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me get the right. 1 Chronicles, it helps to be in the right one. First Chronicles 29, 6. Uh, and verse 6, the, Then the leaders of families, the officers, and the tribes of Israel, the commanders of the thousands, and commanders of hundreds, Um, uh, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. In other words, they weren't grudging, they weren't stingy, they were all right, no, none of that. They rushed to do it. They gave toward the work on the temple, and he goes on to catalog all of this wealth that came in through God's people. And then verse 9, And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. And Now notice David's praise and prayer here. David praised the Lord in the presence, here's the king, of the whole assembly. What did he say? Here it is. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness of the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything, everything comes from you. And we have only given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in the sight as all our forefathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow. In other words, they go fast without hope. Oh, Lord, our God, for all this abundance that we have provided for the building, of you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you are the test of, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Wow. Why should we live to give? Because the first reason is that it's not yours anyway. It's all God's. Everything we have is his, everything. All we have, look at B, all all we are and all we have is the Lord's. And although we must provide for our housing and clothing and food and other responsibilities, we actually live on His money. For all our income is His and should be available to Him as needed. Even your own life, if you're a Christian, you don't even belong to yourself. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price, the price of the blood of Jesus. And therefore glorify him in your heart and life. Why should you give? Everything as his. Everything. He owns it. I know that when you buy a car, a used car new, that eventually you get a, uh, a title in the mail. Uh, the bank will hold it if you have a loan or a lien on it. And finally that day comes when you pay for it or you pay for it and you get it and you put it in the safe. There it is, it's got your name on it, right? I own it. I own it. It's my car. My car. That's an illusion, really. You know, it all comes stamped, uh, God owns it and put your name underneath. You had the you have the privilege of paying for it. What it's God's. It's the metal of the ground and the plastic that comes from oil and the leather for the seats and and everything else, the cotton and every, whatever else is in it, right, that makes it, it's all his, his, it's his. And when you buy a house, if you buy a house, they give you a deed as a part of closing, right? You get a deed or a copy of it, and the deed often goes to the mortgager. If you have a mortgage on it, most people do. And they say, well, you know, you own that track of land. You don't really, it's an illusion, you have the right to pay the taxes, and have you noticed? Have you read the, I think they're going up, right? <laughs> yummy, yummy, right? You don't really own it. You don't. It's, not, it's yours to have. It's yours to keep. It's yours to use. It's, it's the Lord's, everything we have. That's the right biblical perspective. It's the Lord's, everything we have, everything, every toy, every piece of clothing, every piece of stick of food in the cupboard, or refrigerator, and they throw the door open, what do we got to eat here? It's all the Lord's. It's his. Everything in our accounts, our retirement, all of it, our time, our trade, everything is his. That's what David said, and that's reality. It's his, not ours. It's his. Well, there's a second reason uh, why you and I ought to live a life that gives. The second, giving reflects God. It reflects, and when we give, we strongly resemble our Lord. In John 3.16, don't even need to turn to it. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have memorized For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, not only does God own it all, but when we give freely and cheerfully and purposely and intentionally... We very strongly resemble God, who is the great giver of all. We resemble him. He is the great giver. His love is evidenced by his gifts. He gave us the greatest gift. I don't know what you're planning for Christmas this year. And most people, some people, it's amazing. They'll buy their gifts ahead of time. The end of last Christmas, when they go on sale, some of you have done that. And Denise, I saw evidence of some of that, but you're so far ahead of me. It's uh, it's not funny, but you give thought now. What can I give? You know, what to, can we give? And typically at Christmas time, to express our love, and we come to discover in the text that God gave the greatest gift. I mean, what can compare to the giving of His Son? Nothing. A car, a house, a vacation. A new uh, pair of shoes, a coat, clothing, a dress? No, I don't think so. None of that. God gave the greatest, he's the greatest giver. He's given it all. And so we, 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 we mirror him, we reflect him. And when we give and express our love for one another, God gave the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ, who died in our place. But more than that, what does God give us? And as we give, we reflect that. He gives us life. You didn't choose to be born. You didn't get in line and say, yeah, no, I think I like the United States. Yeah, I think I like to be born at uh, this time and in that family. No one even asked you. They didn't ask me. Some of you think you're in the wrong family. God didn't make a mistake. I'll swap and trade. No, it's not the NFL. I'm on waivers, you know. (laughs) No. God gave gave you life. He gave you breath. He gave you health. Not everybody has that. You're here today, so you're healthy enough to get get yourself in here. That's of God. He gave you homes and food and clothing and gave you talents and ability. He gives you work and resources and family and friends and time and gives us a church family. We need each other. You belong here. Uh, I say to folks, look, you need to be at church. You need to be there and they need you. It's called body life. We need each other. We build into each other. We lean on each other. We carry each other. We pray for each other. We support each other. We admonish each other. It's called the body. It's a church family. That's what the Lord calls it. These are some of just a few of God's gifts to us. And therefore, when we live generously and live to give, we reflect the, the, this essence of our God, that our God is the great giver. And when we give, we model him. Isn't that great? Give your time. I would urge you to those near you. There are folks that need your time. They need to just let you hear the burdens on their heart and to unpack those things. Important to do that. I grew up in a family where less talk, more work, that German ethic, you know, and I had the wrong idea that talk wasn't that important, and I was wrong, and I've had to learn, relearn that through the years. Faithy he has helped me a lot with that. Really, being more task-oriented, right? And some of you know what I mean by that. And so we give our time; that's precious. We give our talents. Some of you have the talents and abilities. Use them. Use them to make an income, support yourself, to be a blessing. Use it to give it away as well. That's uh, living a life of uh, of godliness and resembling. Be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Do that. And third, use your checkbook to be a help and a blessing. Family resemblance. That's what we're like when we give. You know, not only does God own it, but when we give, we resemble him. I look at our three children. You know, Faith and I have had fun through the years, and we go like, well, I think he's like you. I think she's like me. You know, and, and the other one—they're a mixture. You know, you kind of—they resemble us. I hear myself there. Oh, horror of horrors! I say, <laughs> or their eye color, or the way they walk. If you could see my brothers, talk about family resemblance. We, well, until I got the hip job twice, uh, we, we used to all walk the same. There was a certain—I can't remember what that was. I told the—I doctor, I hope I get that back. He said, "Oh, well, maybe you will, maybe you won't." You know. Family resemblances. Isn't that funny how that is? I, we saw an old picture of Faith's family. They came over from Germany. What was it was 1890. It's in the dining room, and her grandmother. I, when I looked at it, there were all these people. They had enormous families back there, you know, like all these people. Uh, and I look, I look at that one. It turned out to be ch- the spinning image of Faithy. I go like, that's your grandmother. I can't believe it. And uh, then when we go down and see the grandbabies, and I look at our second one, uh, little Harper looks like, I go like, those genes are strong. Wow, that's amazing. Family resumption. You know, you bear uh, more than an earthly resumption. You bear a What's it resemblance to God when you live a life that gives? And That's what I want to urge you to and nudge you to and kind of mess up your head today. Unless you've been living to get, you got to turn that thing around and open the spigot and let it go. Time and talent, treasury. That's a blessed life. That's the life that resembles God. It's not yours anyway. Not. You might as well loosen the grip on it. Loosen your sweaty palm. I'm holding on to it. Oh, yeah? Third reason we ought to uh, live a life of generosity is that giving is the clearest measure of our love for the Lord. Did you know that? Look at Second Corinthians. Go back to that Corinthian passage again. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are some of the clearest teaching in the Word on giving for a Christian. And uh, Paul is urging the Corinthian believers to, uh, to, to follow through on their Word and to, uh, uh, to give to the uh, the offering that was being received for the poor folks, uh, believers there in Jerusalem that Paul was uh, uh, picking up. And so he spends a lot of time talking to this Corinthian church, which was a wealthier church. Corinth was a main uh, center of commerce and, and industry. And God had saved a number of these people and established a church here in a sailor town, if you will. And in 2 Corinthians uh, 8, i just get some of the flavor of it. Uh, 8 through 12, Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's going to compare it with the Macedonians who were com- very poor and gave an offering way above what they were able because they gave themselves first to the Lord and that God is able to funnel much through them and carry them forward. And then he lays down as we, in verse 9, the example of Christ, the great example of giving. Uh, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, and here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by the completion of it according to your means. For it is the willingness, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then look at, if you will, in that same passage at verse uh, uh, 20, 24, the last of the... Therefore, show these men, the men who are coming to receive that gift, that love gift to the Lord, uh, the proof of your love. And the reason for our pride in you so that the church can see. The proof of their love for God was their give, their giving. And that's why I say giving is perhaps the clearest measure of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the widow's mite in Luke uh, 21, verse 1 and 2? The widow's mite, they're standing at the temple treasury, as was different than our day. They had 12 or 13 of these offering bins, and and people would parade up to them and take their time throwing their coins into this uh, bin that would be used to collect the offering of God's people. And some would take quite a while and make a grand show of their giving to be well thought of, and people would stand around and watch. And then a, a, a widow went up, and she had two mites, a widow's mites, right? The, it was a one twenty-eighth of a day's wage. I mean, that's like take a penny and cut it in, in a very small piece and throw it in, that's it. And when she put it in, you couldn't even hear it clank in the, in the, into the container. And what did Jesus say? She gave more than all the rest because she gave out of her, out of her need you know, for her love for the Lord. And they gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her need. And they commended her. And look, even to this day, we speak of her 20 centuries later at Grace Church as an example of how our giving is a direct reflection of our love for the Lord. It does. Paul tells us that our love and a and gratitude to the Lord may be tested by the vigor of our stewardship. It's like an acid test. It reveals what's there. That's why, and I've said for years, your checkbook and not your hymn book is a better indicator of your love for the Lord. You know, we can sing great songs, worship songs, praise songs. Oh, wow, don't they love the Lord? And I trust that's true. And I trust that you enjoy singing and worshiping together and on your own and driving around and, and have a song in your heart to the Lord. God loves to hear that. You know, our God sings. Check Zephaniah 3. The Lord our God sings. But we can sing and our heart be far away from the Lord. You know that? Can be. But our checkbook really shows up and points the priorities in your life and mine with a precision that very few things, probably nothing else, shows. My father, uh, unsaved for many years, had his business and financial services. A part of it was accounting. And he would tell me, I know people better than they know themselves. Now, this is an unsaved man speaking. I said, what do you mean? I know where they spend all their money in the course of a year. They lay it all out for me when I do their accounting. You had thousands of accounts. And, uh, And my father was right on that. It's exactly right. And so your hymn book, does that indicate your love for the Lord as well as your checkbook? Trail off in your giving and your heart will grow increasingly cold. It's amazing how that's wired together. Jesus put it, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. You see, our giving is the clearest measure of our love for the Lord. And when we are generous with God's gifts to us, we reveal God's work in our heart and in our lives. We begin life so utterly selfish and self-centered, don't we? My truck, my bike, stay away, don't touch. And when God saves us, he begins to transform us into his likeness. Once we were all Scrooges, and some of, you st- some of us still battle with a tendency, and some of us maybe still Scrooges here, hoarding and keeping, not realizing it's all God's and giving reflects Him, and also that it's the clearest measure of our love for Him. But now we begin to give. It's God's love flowing through us to others. It's a remarkable transformation. It is. As God loosens our grip, Upon our financial means and our talents and our treasury and our time and we give. It's remarkable as we stand aside and see it. Wow. A pastor came to see a farmer one day and he asked him, if you had two hundred dollars, would you give a hundred to the Lord? And the farmer said, I certainly would. And if you had two cows, he continued, would you give one of them to the Lord? And he said, Sure, I would. And then he finally asked, if you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? And the farmer said, Now that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> Did you know that God can, can have our money and not our hearts? You know? All right, I'll give it. All right, Pastor squeezing. We need it, and this is our church, and we need to pull together on that. God can have our money and not our hearts, but you know he cannot have our hearts. Without having all our money really interesting a little flip up on that. in fact, all that we have is his: we give gifts as an expression of our love for the Lord. We do that, don't we at Christmas time at birthday time I love to, to, to surprise faith from time to time and, and buy a gift and, and uh, I get more excited about that uh, and uh, especially if it's a few days and you're waiting and and, uh, and, and give that uh, as an expression of love. It's not the, the, the total sum dis, uh, description and definition of my love, but it's a token of that. It's a symbol of that. And I love to do that. And men, we to love our wives. Like Christ so loved the church. And we're to give, to give. And when we do so, we resemble God. Giving is the clearest measure of our love for the Lord. The fourth reason, giving produces deep joy in our life. Oh, this is so true. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesian elders there at Miletus in his farewell address to them. And, and Paul reminds us of that uh, in Acts chapter 20, where he says, Remember, it was the Lord that said, and here it is on your sheet, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It was the Lord Jesus that taught that, the blessedness of giving. The word blessedness. Blessed signifies multiply, joy in the life of the giver. This is true because God blesses the giver. The happiest people that I know in the world are generous people. They're givers. They're not takers. They're not hoarders. They're not holding on. Whoa, don't know what's coming tomorrow. Guess what? Nobody does. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We trust Him. It's all His anyway. We ought to be generous and not hoarders. And if God can trust us with that, maybe he'll trust us with even more to be generous to his people and to his work. It's not the health and wealth, but God has a way of sometimes doing that. The joy of that. One of the first, the first check I write every week is, is my offering to the Lord, and I do it with joy and a song in my heart. And each year, Faith and I pray about How can we increase our giving as the days go by? We want to be generous. Lord, it's all yours. Joyful giving. People that hold on and sweaty pump, they're not happy people, are they? I know some of those folks. If you had a day off, would you say, "I, I think I'll choose to spend it with them. I don't think so. You won't. And the proverb says, don't eat the food of a stingy man. Why? Because while you're sitting there chowing down, he's watching everything you're eating. You're eating my food. And he's he's, uh, grumbling, grudgingly in his giving. You You know, we understand that. But people who are generous and live to give, they're happy people. They are giving time and using their abilities to be a blessing to others and recognizing all their things that God has given, resources are all his. And God is able to tap us on the shoulder and ask us to give it to his purpose at any time. Well, those are happy people. So be if you want a life filled with joy, you know, you're tired of looking like you've been sucking on lemons, walking around, what's the matter with you? Be a giver. Be a giver. Joy. Honor the Lord and live generously. Live to give. If you refuse to do so, don't be surprised with the lack of joy in your life and the cares and the worries and the things that will crush you as you think, i got to hold on. i got to protect all this stuff. Man, someone's going to take it from me. There's going to be a turning of the tables. You won't sleep at night. You'll die early. So what happened then? He, d- he died early. I guess he was consumed, worrying about who was going to take advantage of him next. Don't live that way. It's God's. Lay down on a pillow at night say, Lord, it's yours anyway. Watch over it. Sayonara, I'm going to sleep. You know, that's the way to live. No, not stupidly. I'm not saying don't have insurance and some of these things, but at the end of the day, realize it's all is. My talents and abilities, and now I lay me down to sleep and pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord, take my soul. Take it, Lord. If you allow me to get out of bed tomorrow, let me serve you with all my heart. That's, that's the Christian life. That's the exciting. That's the joyful life. That's the blessed life. It's nothing more than what Jesus had told us to do when walking by faith, recognizing his sovereignty, recognizing his care for us. He cares for us. This is merely doing what Jesus told us to do. What? Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I'll take care of all your needs. Read that again in Matthew 6 if you need to be encouraged by that. Hoarders disgrace the name of the Lord by thinking they must cling on to stuff. When Really, it's a battle over idolatry, isn't it? Happy, happy, happy. Don't you like to be around happy people, joyful people? Joyous people, joy, the abiding presence of, of tuning into what God is doing and living a stewardship life. That's what I want. That's the kind of church I want. I don't want a church filled with stingy, hoarding people, watching every, you got an advantage, you got to, forget that. That's crazy. It's carnal, it's sinful. Let's rush to be generous in giving of ourselves to the Lord and then to those that need it. Finally, fifth, giving helps counter our tendency to covet. Uh, Paul writes of that. You got to turn to Timothy. Don't tune out yet. We're almost done. But look at First Timothy. Um, he tells this young pastor who's pastoring at Ephesus uh, to uh, to warn the Christians in his charge of the danger of covetousness. That is the yearning for more and more and more and more stuff that will never provide contentment. Haven't you learned that yet? Bigger, better, best. You finally get it, and after a month you kick it in the corner. What is that? It's, uh, well, maybe if I hit something else here, this or that, or, you know, never provide contentment, never. That's sad. I've talked to men that have been in the corporate uh, uh, c- climb, you know, trying to get ahead, trying to climb the ladder, and they realize and come to a certain age, wait a minute, I've been giving my life to the wrong thing. I've been climbing up a ladder that was leaning against the wrong wall, and now this time is all gone. It's almost all gone for me. Wow, covetousness. Man, that's, that's the whole thing. You know, I want what someone else has. I want, and we lock onto that. It becomes an idol. Well, the, the antidote is pretty easy. Just give. Live a generous, giving life rather than a getting life. Live to give. And it's a great antidote. Really, I'm not saying you can't have homes and clothing. And, but live to give. Be generous not to get, and uh, it will help battle this thing called coveting. Now look at 1 Timothy 6. These are some powerful words that Paul speaks to to Timothy in his day, but also to our day. Look at verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, probably covering, probably means our house as well as our clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into any many foolish and harmful desires, that plungement into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, Christians, eager for money through coveting, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many But you, men of God, flee from all of these things. Now look down at verse 17. He tells uh, Timothy, command those who are rich, and we are as Americans, rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And giving counters our tendency, my tendency. It's not like your tendency, it's mine too. In attempt to succumb to the temptation of coveting. And all of us have that. God's solution, live to give. Be generous, give sacrificially. You can give far more, I'm convinced of it, than what you think you can. Give to the Lord. and You'll be so glad you did. Give while you're able and while you have it with you before it's taken from you. Well, what are some lessons for our life we will be done? Number one, your love for the Lord. Say, why should I give? Why? Your love for the Lord Jesus should be your motive in giving. That's it. Say, I'm giving because pastor said, no, don't, you don't. No, you missed it. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you pray about it. Lord. What? what should I give in my life? I'm tired of holding on and being stingy. I don't want to be, I don't want to be scrooge anymore, scrooge-like, or scroogey. Not a word, but it sounds fun to say it. <laughs> I don't want to be that. I want a, the love of Christ to flow through me. I want to live to give. I don't want to out of obligation or because of some constraint, knowing that God loves a, a cheerful giver. I want to live that life. I want to be that person. Help me to do that. Will you pray that way and ask the Lord for that? Number two, step up and live to give. And the result will be a joyful life. God will fill your life with joy. He will. I promise you, he will do that for you. And he will care for your every need. He will. The widow's might. God watches what we give and what we keep, and it's not so much what we give. The widow's mite, the lesson there, is not so much what you give. Two mites, that was nothing. It's how much do you keep back? It's all his. That's what God measures. And some of us can do far more. Some, we've struggled years. Well, we can all give, each according to his means, the Bible says. And if we'll live that way and give of our time and our abilities to those and of our treasury and and that's a joyful, that's the kind of church family I want. I want to grow in this more and more and more. Life is not getting, it's giving. Jesus is the example of that. Number three, resist the temptation to hold on to stuff. Loosen your sweaty palm on it, your grip, and give. Resist it. You have to resist Because the current is so strong. We get swept away, and we have, and all of us have. You have to say no more of that. Give is a great antidote to that. It helps in that. Give. Give of the first fruits. Give cheerfully and joyfully. Number four. Next week is our harvest offering. I'd like to ask you to to really pray about that. Lord, lay upon my heart what I could give in that sacrificial offering. We want our church family to move forward. And what's $20,000 to the Lord? That's nothing. We had to go way over that, really. We should and give uh, a sacrifice to the Lord. And, and so we can move ahead as a church. I'm just trusting and knowing that God's going to work in our midst and do a great thing. And I can't wait uh, for that wonderful day. So you pray about it. Give yourself first to the Lord. All of us can give. And give over and above and trust the Lord to meet our needs and then we'll rejoice at what God has certainly done. I can't wait for next Sunday to come, our harvest Sunday. Number five and last. Perhaps your resistance to generosity really indicates sin in your life. It does, you know. Sin is selfish and selfish is, no, Lord, I'm not giving, I'm going to keep, I'm going to get and or it may reflect, that's for a Christian, may reflect the reality that you're not saved. I'd like to urge you to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus today in the quietness of this hour. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. You gave the greatest gift of all, your own life, for me. You can be saved today. And God will change your life from being selfish. We all start out there. We all struggle with it a little bit through the years, but God is sanctifying us and making us like Jesus, that family resemblance, as we live to give. Oh, praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen? Is that the way we want to live? Amen? Three of us? Amen? Amen. All right. There we go. Praise the Lord. Well, may the Lord give you a great week this week. Take these things to heart. And uh, may the Lord bless you as uh, you carry about your life and your business and your activities to be a blessing to all that you should meet. I know you will be. You're going to be generous now in your words, right? Right? Even when your team loses today, you'll be like, well, they did pretty well, right? Dan, you're going to be kind in that outcome yesterday, right? I only saw the first half. I was all excited, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be generous with our our abilities, maybe, uh, and some of you have shown kindness to Faith and I when I had that hip job done, you know, I still, still, uh, tightens up and I'm, I stood too long today, I'm going to pay for that, but you, you helped us out and we need to help each other and help our neighbors out and those around us and those at work and with, with time and with prayer and with encouragement and, and may, you know, doing things around the house. And there are older folks in there that maybe need their screens down and their leaves raked. And, and, we, and we ought to raise our kids to be thinking that way and not dote on them so that the world doesn't surround them. And then as we give of our resources, may God bless and trust us, right? There is anyway. And when we do all that, man, Is going to be the happiest church family. Joy is going to flow like the rest. That's that's what I want. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.